Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Welcome back. Excited to bring you another episode. And this one is a great conversation that I had with a past private coaching client of mine who went from feeling like a lot of things were her partner or there was something wrong with the relationship, but quickly realized through the work that we were doing that it was easier to look at the ways that her partner or relationship were not doing enough or not good enough, but there was a lot of her own core beliefs underneath that of her enoughness and her worthiness and how that spilled into the relationship as well as how her past experiences growing up were also big factors that were affecting how she viewed the relationship, her partner, and herself. So really excited for you to hear this one. It's always great when I'm able to bring someone on who's been a client because I know that their stories can relate with people. And what's cool about this conversation is that my client gives you the reminder that you're not broken, you don't need to be fixed. And so she is not 100% fixed because we don't need to be fixed, but she's been making really big shifts in how she relates to her partner and herself. So I'm excited for you to hear her story and I know that you will learn a lot. Let's dive in. Hi, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, no worries at all. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. And the way that this podcast idea actually started was because you recently sent me a DM updating me on something that it felt like a night and day difference from our time together, like before we started working together until after. And then it kind of inspired the idea that maybe other people would want to hear a little bit more about your story and that it would resonate with others. So I'm really grateful that you're just willing to come on and share because I know a lot of people listening just feel alone and like, oh, other people would never understand what I'm going through. But hearing these types of stories makes it just feel a lot more human and gives us that compassion. Yeah, 100%. And every time I listen to your podcast as well, I feel the same. And I feel like really just gratified by the fact that there's this community of people that are willing to share their vulnerabilities in this way. And it's such a brave thing for people to do. And not even because I think, oh, people would love to hear about my life. But just uh, <laughs> I think that it's it's the type of thing that you then hear, oh, well, that person has experienced this specific thing as well. And I'm not completely alone in this and actually with uh, RCD and RA I think it's it's one of the rare areas where it's nice to be told like you're not that special (laughs) Um, and loads of other people are going through this as well you know and even if they don't recognize that it is that um, it's just useful for people to hear about it from an individual as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, to paint a little bit of color as to kind of where you were at before we did our private coaching experience together. So talk to me a little bit about what led you to want to get support and where you were at as far as either internal patterns or how you were showing up in your relationship. Yeah, I'm happy to. So um, I've been with my partner about four years now, and we got together around about COVID um, just shortly afterwards and I think because of that we had quite an accelerated um, honeymoon phase and a lot of that process was you know streamlined by the fact that we had lockdowns we spent all of our time together and something that and this is different for everyone as well like I don't want people to listen and think oh well my honeymoon phase wasn't this or I didn't have a honeymoon phase or whatever everyone's unique but for me I felt I really did have that honeymoon phase where it was the initial you know just deeply in love feelings and as I've grown through the processes I've learned that actually I'm someone who's very in touch with my hormones and so I recognized that I had quite a lot of dopamine and oxytocin and serotonin and all the love hormones basically what makes you feel 
I'm so deeply in love and my life is forever and irrevocably changed. But then obviously we had our relationship continued and I was like, this is really the person I want to be with. And I oddly, I remember the specific day that it happened. And I think this is quite just no weird that I was able to to notice this change in myself and my my own like chemicals or whatever but I felt like I'd gone from being just completely in love with this person to then being like okay I don't love you anymore (laughs) because I had this just drop of all of these hormones that had been keeping me on this high and it sent me into such a spiral of did I just gaslight myself into thinking all of those things was I making it up did I miss something have I like seen all these qualities in this person that actually aren't there but I think underneath all of that and this is what led me to then looking into relationship anxiety and led me to a lot of forums like your Instagram page and podcasts is I almost had this and sometimes people will will say and I kind of agree with this don't listen to sentiments that say trust your gut but underneath the fear I guess I had a a secondary intuition almost of this is a me problem this isn't to do with my partner at all and that's not necessarily a trust your gut thing but I just had this sniggling voice underneath the anxiety voice saying you need to figure this out because otherwise you're going to lose this person and so yeah I became the most well-read person ever as I'm sure everyone that experiences does and I poured myself into you know googling and seeking reassurance and watching YouTube videos and finding Instagram pages and you start out with a lot of the quiz pages and stuff like that that says oh well you know if you have this happen then you don't know and you should know and this should happen it should be easy and everything else and I went a layer past that And I think when I went the layer past that, where I disagreed with that, I then was like, okay, I want to work on this because I disagree with that. And I think that if you found this page and if you found the podcast and if you found Sarah, then you probably have the same in that you also don't agree with the narrative that you will have seen online of, you know, if you feel this way, you should leave because you want to work on it and you want to build. And so, yeah, I went through all those processes. I um, did a few of the free kind of courses that you can do, dip my toe in a little bit. And I felt like I'd listened to quite a lot of podcasts, but didn't actually have the tools to hand that I needed to, to implement longer term solutions to the anxiety, because it's all very well and good knowing I have a cold, but if you don't actually know how to make yourself better, then you just know that you have cold and you're aware of it. And so, yeah, that's how I got into coaching with you, which was just really a, a step change for me going through that process. And it's not an easy thing for people to do, to work through a lot of why you've been brought to this place. But I think it was such important foundational work to do to start it. And like I know you say in a lot of your other sessions, it it's not like you do this and then you're fixed. So I think that would be my expectation to set is you're not going to do a certain amount of sessions and suddenly be cured because there's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) Mm. You are probably someone who is a very feeling person and you'll have a high level of empathy and self-awareness and love and care for your partner. And the sessions will help you to really focus in on, on that and just decouple those from the things that are causing you anxiety through going through the tools that is available through your program. Very long-winded way of saying the before and after, sorry. I loved it. No, I loved it. I love that last piece you said that was so just beautiful about there's nothing wrong with you. So that's why there's nothing to fix because I know that's such a common mindset and it's understandable. It's coming from such a pure place of, I just want to feel better and I want to be able to give and receive love. And so, like you said, it's coming from the purest intentions, but sometimes that voice is coming from shame versus coming from a love and respect of ourselves. So that was really helpful to hear. And then I also loved your note about that voice underneath what people kind of call your gut or your intuition and that voice that you kind of identified. I don't agree that this message 
that I keep hearing is that I just have to leave the relationship. That also doesn't feel true. And I don't yet know what feels true, but I want to explore that. And I think that's such a powerful place to be is that curiosity, but not necessarily needing the certainty from it, but just being open to exploring like what might be going on. Because I think even the word intuition, sometimes just hearing that word can like cause a response in your body. And I don't even think I, I don't, I feel like intuition, it's not necessarily something that can be measured. It's more of like this sense, like it's like a sixth sense, so to speak, but we almost try to make it so scientific, like this is my intuition or this isn't my intuition. And self-trust is a big piece of the intuition puzzle. It's like, how can I trust myself to navigate and figure this out without rushing to it? And so I think that permission slip you just gave people where it's like, if you're here listening to this podcast, then at least you're just curious about what other ideas might be out there versus that mainstream thing, which is like, you have to break up with them or you're not with the right person. Yeah. And I I think especially if, if you're someone that, as is the case with probably most people that has experienced hurt before and you've experienced any kind of relationship which has caused you to to doubt that trust that you maybe had in yourself to start with and you haven't got this core foundation of okay I trust that the decision that I'm making is good and no matter what happens like you don't have to trust that it's going to go exactly as you think it's going to go because you don't have that assurance with anything in your life you can start a job and think this is going to be so amazing and that can be your expectation And you can obviously work towards that being the outcome, but there's different things that might happen. So at the core of that, you need to trust that you're going to be okay and you're going to be safe and you're going to know how to take care of yourself. And then you have to trust that the decisions that you're making are going to continue to be trustworthy and you're going to continue to be someone that you can rely on. And often, and is the case, what would happen with me is, I had such a baked in sense of fear from what had happened with some of my other like romantic relationships and with friendships that I had this core fear, which I think (laughs) if it was Love Island, you would say like self-sabotage or whatever. And it was this, this fear with this deep love that I had for this person saying, you know, that this is really scary and the implications of you making this decision this could go the same way that those things went. And when you have that fear voice, which is driving you and saying, hey, this could not turn out how we think it's going to turn out. And it's convincing your brain that you're in a romantic relationship, you're not running from a bear. (laughs) But the chemicals in your brain don't know how to determine the difference with that, which is then what causes physical anxiety and your heart racing and your palms sweating and you struggle to breathe and often then it can either be chicken or egg sometimes that comes first or sometimes the anxious thought comes first but whatever it might be it's rooted in you having a desire for something to go well and so I think what led me to having this almost guiding light through the process was I'm here because I'm trying to not get myself hurt, not because the decision that I've made is bound to get me hurt. It's that I've experienced that in the past. And so the neural pathways in my brain have developed in such a way that it's, hey, here's this knife, you cut yourself on it previously. And so I'm never not going to, you know, chop an onion again, but I'm aware when I'm doing that thing that the decisions that I make inform the outcome and so I think it's it's getting to the point of trusting that you can hold the knife because you you know you know what's going to happen and not having to have that certainty of this is specifically how this thing is going to come out and I think that's something that people who suffer with with you know anxiety often struggle with is that control aspect and needing to be in the driving seat of if it doesn't go exactly how I am driving it, then it is not right. And that's really what I suppose working with you helped me to move away from. Mm, Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's basically what you just explained so beautifully is that if love doesn't feel safe for whatever reason, based on your past experiences, whether it's what you saw growing up or 
past relationships or friendships, or it could be anything that has taught you directly or indirectly that you can't fully trust love or that it might not work out. It could even just be seeing that a couple you looked up to got a divorce and it was like a celebrity couple. It doesn't matter. But if you had some emotional connection to that, and then you make the neural pathway connection that love isn't safe or it might not work out. It is the same as feeling like you're running away from that big, scary bear, but you have to, like you said, remind your brain that you are safe or that even if you can't predict the outcome that you're going to be the one that's there to, to help pick yourself up and move forward, no matter what the outcome is. And so it's so important to know that. And you, you just mentioned control or lack of control being a big trigger of anxiety. And that was a big theme, something that we definitely talked about together in our journey. And what we ended up doing was kind of personifying that part inside you that likes to control and make sure everything's handled. So can you talk about a little bit more about what insight you came out of the experience with around your tendency to control or what that looked like for you? How were you controlling your partner? What was going on? And and how did you start to shift that pattern a bit? Yeah. And it's weird because I, I actually think that from a lot of the podcasts that I've listened to of yours and people that I've also spoken to who've experienced this, this isn't obviously the way that it goes every time, but a lot of the time I've I've seen this be the dynamic. And I think you spoke about it actually in a recent podcast where there's the one person who tends to be more, I don't know, dominant in social settings. And then the other person tends to follow their lead or based off of the tone of wherever they are. And I don't know why, but that that is often dynamic that I see and so I think that control aspects for me was deeply rooted in my experience growing up so I experienced a dynamic where in my family you were very much expected for everything had to be a very specific way my dad wanted everything extraordinarily tidy like military grade tidy and if that wasn't the case or if it didn't go exactly how he wanted it to go then there was repercussions to that so a large part of my control now is because I was taught that if things weren't done in a very specific way there would be outcomes that I should be afraid of and so that drove a lot of it was this need for regiment and discipline when I was a child and so I learned not to really be carefree in that sense and not to say you know as a parent you can't have discipline but it was an extreme version of that with hyper cleanliness hyper tidiness and I was also raised to be very very studious very high exceeding I trained as like an elite athlete as well as a child I did a high level of sport and so it was you need to win this competition you need to get this grade you need to and then to come home and be in a situation where your bed had to be made a very specific way and the bed corners folded at a 90 degree angle and this done in a, this way, like honestly, it was insane. <laughs> so you don't really have an environment where you aren't on, you are performing and exceeding in every situation. And so I think that there are positives and negatives to that as there is with anything. The positives are that I'm a very driven person. I'm very motivated I'm I seek to you know do well around my peers and it makes me very ambitious in in my career in another respect but it also then leads to this notion of a having to have control over an outcome because if I don't have control then it isn't going to go how I want it to go and in my experience there is like I said, punishment for that, um, which is that fear kind of brain speaking more. And the other part of it is it leads you to this expectation that you can't settle and that you shouldn't settle. Mm-hmm. And what does settling mean? Settling means you didn't win. Settling means you got to be. Settling means you didn't make your bed exactly how it was supposed to be made. And so you didn't receive the love that you should have been just given because you should have been given it Mm. and not just not received the love you then received you know the opposite of love you received punishment and fear over something which 
had to be done in a very specific manner. And so for me, what that transposed into and still kind of has is I need to know that if I'm controlling a situation, I am controlling it in such a way that the outcome will be safe. And so <laughs> now it means I live in what can only explained as a show home that um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I like my house to look like no one lives in it, basically. Mm-hmm. And my partner does not. <laughs> and it's not like he's a slob or anything like that. He just doesn't make the bed like it's from a catalogue. You know, it doesn't occur to him to take the towels down from drying as quickly as it occurs to me. He doesn't have a kitchen that is constantly spotless because I was raised in this situation where I was almost part of that parenting structure from a much earlier age. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like what that then sometimes leads to is a little bit of, and this is very common, this is not just for people with RA and ROCD, domestic you know, conflict is one of the most common ones. So don't think that you're abnormal because you and your partner are arguing about who's done the dishes, you know, more that week or not. That's really common, but it's the obsessive thoughts about it and the obsession then leading to, oh, well, they didn't wash the dishes, so therefore they don't love me. <laughs> and I think that that's probably where the thought stops for other people. Whereas those of us who are anxiety inclined might take that to the nth degree and say, if I don't control this situation and have it be exactly as I want it to be, then the outcome isn't safe. I won't be loved. I won't be cared for. And I'm not worthy of love and affection. And so it's sometimes not even the inference is that your partner doesn't love you. It's that how how can you be loved and be giving love if everything isn't exactly as it's supposed to be and that might just depend on how you were raised and what happened and experiences in your past but yeah for me control was this big theme and is an ongoing struggle that I have but I now have more tools to deal with it yeah definitely and have you noticed that spilling into other areas like I before we jumped on some of the key things we had talked about were also around social situations going out or also like the appearance of your partner and like are they put together as much as you think so I know that this control that's almost like a underlying thing that can spill into a downstream effect in many areas not just relationship but at work or with friends or family dynamics how you put yourself together appearance wise or how you act but then of course those things get projected onto our partner too of how we think we have to act and operate then that can be the expectation for them so talk to me a little bit more about some other areas that this came out in yeah definitely it's you mentioned earlier we kind of named these these roles and so we named the part that needs control as the caretaker and it's kind of opposite uh, the relaxer and so the caretaker when that is leading and like I said there was that's rooted in I have to take care of the situation I have to take care of what's happening that spans out into everything so in social situations something we've discussed quite a lot and what I message you about on Instagram is specifically with alcohol being a trigger because alcohol leads to my partner and I don't like he's not in any way harmful or mean or spiteful or anything like that this doesn't apply to if there's anything like that happening in your relationship he is a slightly less in control version of yourself when anyone has had alcohol you are you know less self-aware you might have slightly exaggerated mannerisms that maybe you don't have in your normal persona and so there's some things that when my partner has goes out on social situations specifically with you know if there's quite a lot of drinking that's involved I'm not talking like you know we go out for dinner and we have a few glasses of wine I'm talking like stag do's give me a, a like increased amount of anxiety but also social situations where I'm going to be there and the reason for that is because I can't control the perception of how other people are going to perceive my partner which then reflects back to me so it's like what do people think of me because of what they think of the choices I've made and the partner I have and 
I had this example recently where I went to one of my friend's birthdays and my partner had maybe like five beers, something like that. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the people in the group don't really drink. And so I could quite discernibly see there was a difference in how loudly he was speaking compared to everybody else. And he wasn't, he wasn't, it wasn't obvious to anyone else because I spoke to my friend about it afterwards and she was like, why are you being crazy? Getting mad at him. He was funny. He was great. Mm. But for me, because it was just this difference in, and I'm so just acutely aware of it because I'm hyper analyzing, oh, are you behaving how I want you to behave? Are you, you know, going into this situation, reflecting well on me in this regard? which is exhausting, by the way, like you can't control anybody forever. So, <laughs> And interestingly, having an amount of control on someone because of polarity makes you less attractive to them. If you're constantly like, oh, I want to control every part of you, that's not attractive. And so I remember having this argument with him afterwards where I was like, why are you like that? You're so embarrassing. And he, we both had a little bit to drink. It's becoming heightened we're both speaking about the situation in probably a way that we wouldn't have spoken about if you know we have hadn't had any alcohol and I want to say he's probably the most emotionally mature person ever which is so frustrating (laughs) because I'm Portuguese and I'm quick to temper and I'm someone that wants to speak about it and I want to have the conversation and then I often have crying as a big release of emotion for me and so it'll quickly transpire into like this is how you made me feel this is what happened tears and then this is probably also rooted in in kind of how I was raised but because I I saw conflict resolution modeled as I'm gonna have a big bout of emotion then I'm gonna have the silent treatment and not speak to you and then you're going to come apologize to me and that's going to soothe how I feel in the situation that would have been how I dealt with it previously but he's so emotionally mature that he will say I understand how you're feeling I'm sorry that that's how you feel in the situation but I don't think either of us in the right frame of mind to speak about it right now Mm. so let's put a pin in this for now and we'll speak about it tomorrow mm-hmm. which I think makes me more irate <laughs> because I'm then like <laughs> no I want to speak about it right now even though it's <laughs> I'm uncomfortable I'm sitting in that discomfort and it drives your anxiety crazy I want it resolved I want to be soothed I want someone to be that safety for me and tell me it's okay and tell me my feelings and emotions are valid and basically tell me I was right <laughs> which is a bit narcissistic but I think you know is is a key part of how we would have dealt with feeling unsafe in a potentially unhealthy way to just have someone always tell you you're right and so you know that specific situation we eventually you know spoke about it that evening and it didn't actually get resolved that evening he eventually fell asleep (laughs) because I think that men particularly are very good at that when you're having an argument they will just fall asleep and you will be lying there awake seething (laughs) (laughs) but we spoke about it the next morning and it was took some distance and it was it was better actually for speaking about it in the morning frustratingly Mm. but the I then had another situation this year where a similar, I could see the beginnings of something similar happening where again, we were going to meet my friends and in the UK, you might call it like road beers or tinnies on the train or whatever it is. And so he got some drinks to have with, with me on, on the train and my media, I was like, Ooh, do you need to have that many drinks before we go? Oh, do you need to be doing that? And almost trying to influence it like in the shop as well, being like, Oh, it's, you know, two for three, let's just get three or something. And then you have two and I'll have one. And him saying, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll have three, like, and they're really small tins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I could already sense that I was like, I'm trying to control the situation. And so I noticed that I was doing that and kind of just flagged to myself, you should be aware of this. And on the train then, you know, he's starting to get, a little bit merry, like having a few drinks, but we're, it's a Saturday night, we're going to meet our friends, we're going to a social situation, it's not like he's 
on a Monday morning opening mm. three beer, you know? So, and on the train, I kind of, the start of a similar type of argument started to happen where I think he could sense that I was trying to control the situation and trying to say, please make sure that you don't drink an amount before we've seen everybody else and know that what level they're at. Because I'm thinking about them and how they're going to perceive him and not the moment I'm having and not just enjoying that moment with him. Because no one's doing anything necessarily unhealthy. Any type of anything in excess is unhealthy, but this wasn't that. And I just took a moment in exercises that we actually spoke about together where I felt physical anxiety. And so instead of catapulting into why are you being like this and this is going to go into this situation and then this is going to happen and then you're going to have this image and obviously you don't go to the next stage and say this is how this is going to make me feel but in your brain that's what's causing it Mm. and I just took two minutes to breathe basically and I did a box breathing exercise and after the breathing I I said well I, I said to myself in my head is this helpful? Is this like a helpful situation? And who is this benefiting? Because my partner's not doing anything wrong. I've not done anything wrong. There's nothing about this that is worthy of having this conflict because I have such a strong desire to control the exact outcome. And so I took those five minutes and I also was really aware that My partner was traveling an hour and a half to go and see my friends and doing something that it's actually, we went rollerblading. It's not something that he would want to do. And so I had this awareness as well that he was doing something for me and because of a love for me. And so why was I causing conflict by needing to control the way that he was showing up for me as well? And not even because the way that he was being was something that I didn't like. It just was different to how I was used to experiencing him in that specific way. And it's probably because I'm not someone that will use alcohol in that way because I like, again, to have control. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And alcohol means you don't have that control. And so there's this kind of part of my brain that says, well, if he's not, if I'm not doing it, then he shouldn't be doing it. But projecting that onto him and projecting on this expectation that he was always going to behave exactly as I wanted him to behave wasn't helpful and isn't going to be helpful for the longevity of our relationship. And so that's when I I messaged you and I was like, I actually probably had one of the first moments where I was acutely aware that I had stopped a conflict prior to it happening. And yeah, I think that's that's something that can be said for a lot of social situations. And I'm sure that alcohol is is a trigger for many people because it does this thing that triggers relationship anxiety, which is you don't have control of that outcome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not not to say that, you know, you should model exactly the behaviors that I have, but that was just my experience in that situation. Yeah. So I love that though, because it's such a clear example of what, the response used to be. And then this one, it's not that you didn't have any sort of anxious response. It's that you had the very human response, which is like, I still am someone who has been programmed to want to control things and have them be a certain way. And that's, I think the key piece here is like your conditioning and programming from how you've grown up was everything needs to be in order and everything needs to look this way. And you need to be in control of yourself and the situation And so it's going to be natural that you still have a response when things don't feel fully in control, but taking that pause and slowing everything down, it sounds like you were just able to elongate the opportunity or the space for yourself to just check in and be like, is this actually something I want to do versus a reaction that kind of just happens automatically? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this is something which, it's not just the specific part, probably something which is more actually ROCD aligned than other parts that I struggled with was, was specifically with attraction aspect and with that part of control. A lot of the attraction aspects is 
so deeply rooted in my own self-esteem. I was someone that had these complexes as, as a child and growing up and as a teenager. And I think everyone does, you know, to a degree is, am I, am I attractive enough? Am I good enough? Am I, am I this enough? And I moved around a lot when I was a kid. I was never really like the most popular person. I went through times as most people have with, with bullying. And when I was doing a high level of sport, I had to have my hair cut in a specific way because the I did diving and the pool water like bleached my hair green. And so I had this stupid pixie haircut. And my older sister is is beautiful and she's, you know, always been beautiful. And not to say that you have to have this kind of model to feel a certain type of way, but I just feel like I had specific role models and people in my life that I felt I was so much less beautiful than and so mm. I was deeply insecure because people would and she's quite a bit old she's four years older than me and so people would say to me oh your sister's so beautiful oh your sister's so this or and, you know boys in your school would say oh like I fancy your sister or whatever and that kind of gets then embedded into your psyche of you're not good enough because someone wants someone else over you and I think that then led me to parts of this aspect of the control with the attraction where I was mirroring my need to be desired upon partner where I would say okay well if people don't think that you're attractive then they don't think that I am with someone who is attractive enough which in turn means that I'm not good enough which then stems back to to that route and really it was nothing to to do with him but part of the control with that was and this is where I would have some of the kind of physical compulsions where I would physically have to touch his hair and like fix it in a certain way until I Mm. felt like it looked exactly how I wanted it to look Mm. so that when people would see him they would be like oh he's attractive and she's with someone attractive that means that she's attractive Mm. and yeah that was a lot of things from touching hair to you know he had toothpaste on his mouth it wasn't just like oh you've got toothpaste on his mouth like I changed our toothpaste <laughs> to you know the the way the specific way that he dresses and I think everyone's got this to agree like I said earlier everyone's got that one jumper that their partner wears that they absolutely hate and they think that's oh, a god-awful jumper and I've got clothes that he hates and he's like god they're awful but I would then be like, oh, if anyone saw him in that, that would mean that he is not good enough. And that means I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's these aspects of control where when you look into it and do the work to actually uncover what is the, what's the root feeling behind this? Because I can't be this much of a narcissistic person that I want to control every aspect of, of my partner in this way it's it's rooted in fear and it's rooted in if I'm not good enough I'm not going to be chosen and if I'm not chosen then I'm going to be alone and it's going to mean that I'm just you know this the second best the third best the unselected sister (laughs) those are those are things which which really hurt you and that's why you have this fear come up again and um some of the the work that I did as well was actually physically stopping myself from doing a compulsion which I I don't actually do that anymore now I I don't fix his hair because what that leads you to believe is that if you are able to do it all the time you will always be safe because you will always know that it's exactly how you want it to be and so your brain says you have to do this because otherwise you are going to get hurt um, so you have to kind of sit in the discomfort of not doing it. I sat on my hands at dinners. I, you know, specifically did, I, I didn't do it. And ironically, sometimes what happens is you, where you, like I said earlier, where you're not controlling your partner in this way, things happen and they show up in ways that they probably wouldn't have if you were controlling them. Mm. And so an example of this might be I more so with less so with appearance, but more so with the kind of tidiness aspect. 
when I wasn't constantly on my partner and saying, you need to make the bed like this, you need to do it like this, you need to do it like this, you need to chop this pillow, why haven't you done this? He actually did it himself <laughs> because mm-hmm. he didn't. It's kind of like when someone tells you to do something, obviously you don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I just think that that kind of components of, of control and, and needing to feel safe isn't because you're with the wrong person. It's not because the person that you've chosen is untidy. It's not because the person you've chosen is unattractive. It's not because the person that you've chosen is, you know, a tipsy person on a train that's making, that's speaking more loudly than everyone else. It's because the fear part of your brain worries that if you aren't in specific control of all of those outcomes, that it's not going to end up being a safe situation for you and it's not going to come out the way that Hollywood and Instagram and other people's relationships are modeled to you because nobody else is posting on Instagram that their partner didn't make the bed right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) People are posting about their holidays and you don't see the next part of the rom-com where that thing happens. You see the part where they fall in love, not where they are loved. And I think falling in love is completely different to being in love. Mm, yeah so much good stuff in there I I want to thank you for the different stories about the control piece like with the attraction with the drinking stuff I mean I can relate to so much of that the drinking is something I've talked about if you're a client of mine I've definitely shared more about this but Nate has he's like given his blessing that I can share enough so that people understand that that's part of our story but you explained it so well, which is that the drinking or the appearance or the way that the bed is made or all of that. It's not really about that. It's about this sense of feeling unsafe and like something isn't quite right and everything's not in a row and, and my ducks aren't in order, whatever the expressions are. And all of this is happening at a subconscious level, of course. So I don't want anyone listening to feel like they're at fault. Like you said earlier, there's nothing about you to fix. It's just a protective mechanism and our subconscious mind, it's not worried about us being happy or fulfilled or joyful. It's worried about us staying safe. And so whatever our baseline is of trying to stay safe and comfortable and make sure that we're not doing any harm to ourselves, then that's what it's focused on. And so all of these little ways that the lack of control comes out are so common. So I just want to remind people listening that they're not alone or that there's nothing wrong with them because it's happening like that instant reaction of the drinking or the instant reaction at the hair not looking right. That's not something you're controlling. It's just happening out of fear. But then the way you respond to it, like we've said, is the piece that you can learn over time and practice becoming more in tune with. Yeah. I think it's sometimes helpful as well, like giving your anxiety a name. We, my partner and I called my anxiety Gollum because like <laughs> Gollum is this character that has like the two parts in, in Lord of the Rings. And, you know, it's, it's, oh, there's, I suppose, light and day or whatever it is. And, but anxiety is, it's trying to protect you, but it doesn't know that. And I think that I read this recently. Well, I say that I read this whenever I say that. I mean, I saw it on TikTok. Um, <laughs> But I saw that your brain is like, it's not hardwired to make you happy. It's hardwired to keep you safe. And so it takes conscious effort to bridge that and to go, well, no, I am safe. That's fine. Thank you, Gollum, for your thoughts. But you are not your anxiety and you're not Gollum you're you and you get to decide the fear doesn't get to decide the fear is there to say hey this thing could happen but it's for you to to change that narrative and say yes but all of these things could also happen and instead of constantly saying what if and say what about and challenge your anxiety to say you've thought about all the bad things that can happen, but let's also think about all the good things that can happen. Mm-hmm. Because ironically, I think that people who find themselves with relationship anxiety are, po- are optimistic people. I think it's optimistic people who have been faced with a, a core part of something they've been taught to associate with what's going to drive your happiness in life. 
and for that fear to then come out and say and by the way it could get taken away from you and so the optimistic part of you is like but hey I've been told my whole life that this is the thing that's going to save me and after I find this I'm going to be saved and cured and I'm never going to be sad again and I'm going to be this all singing all dancing person in a relationship that is on a Tresemme advert like whatever Mm -hmm. but you're not you're still you and they're still them and you're growing as people and that you aren't the product of a hallmark movie or a living breathing person and and so are they and so you're going to be this evolution of all the things that you're learning every day which is why you can't go through this process and say I'm going to go from being fearful and anxious and just nervous to being you know 100 percent sure because that type of binary thing with anything is not possible like it's physically impossible for that to happen you don't know that that's going to happen with anything and so you need to get yourself to the point of understanding that even given everything that could happen what also might happen that is not that thing what are the great things that could happen and how is that going to help you evolve in your relationship and Really, I think that's the point that we all want to get to. And I think that's what I said to you at the start of when we first started doing coaching is was I didn't want to come out with it being like, I want 100% clarity that I selected the right person and I want you to give me a certificate that says that I'm cured. I want to have the tools to trust in myself that I have made this decision and I've chosen someone that I can grow with during our lives together. And the knowledge that this is someone that, I can do that with because I I get to trust my own decisions and I get to trust that if that changes, then I'll deal with that as well. Mm. And I think when you get more to that point, you realize that it is doable because otherwise you're just going to continue to have this fear. And no matter who you're with, no matter what your relationship, you'll go through the same cycle where you have the initial period of all the happy hormones and falling into it. And then when you are dealt with this kind of challenge again, you'll be like, oh God, okay, <laughs> I have to do all the work again. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's just about having the trust in yourself that you're safe to make those decisions and you're choosing someone to continue making those decisions with every day. Yeah, beautiful. One question about the the ways that you've been able to respond to something differently earlier, you brought up the notion that you realized that a lot of this was because of self-esteem and, oh, I need everything to look a certain way. And then my partner needs to look this way for me to feel kind of more worthy. And so before we get to like the last couple of questions, how have you shifted the, I mean, it's not that you go from like 0%, not that you had zero, but it's not like you go from zero to a hundred where it's like, okay, like I have no self-doubt and like, I a hundred percent trust myself 24 seven. My self-esteem is amazing. But like, what were the ways that you were able to shift? Because I did see a big shift in our time together of what you used to kind of think was the way to get self-esteem versus taking it more into like an internal approach. So talk us through that a bit. Yeah, I think that this is definitely this is such a it's almost it's a little bit of a a conundrum actually because I would say that someone who met me would say I have great self-esteem someone who met me would say I'm very confident I'm very outgoing I'm you know well put together I guess like I I present myself to be confident and the challenge with that is that that's not necessarily how I feel it might be how I'm perceived but it's almost that perception that used to drive my self-esteem so it was the external gratification of people telling me I looked nice telling me I was beautiful telling me I was intelligent telling me I was attractive and so for me that was my gratification it was is society telling me that I'm attractive through the common pathways to that and so I would seek it in that way and that's why I would you know nitpick my partner and say you know know, have you done your hair this way your toothpaste like this you want to dress like this and something I used to pick on quite a lot was 
got like a chip in one of his teeth. I'm going to maybe get Invisalign. Like you should look into Invisalign and whatever else. And so, but it was about what that reflected on me. And so what we, what we talked about during our sessions was how to get that, I suppose, validation and what does, what does getting that sense of gratification and self-worth and inherent worthiness look like not from other, not from external sources and not from, you know, this is the way that you look. And so we talked about how do I show up for people? What, what am I doing? That's, that's kind for people. Am I, am I a good person? Am I demonstrating that I'm someone that's going to be there for other people? Am I trustworthy? Am I, a good, a good friend, a good sister. Am I, I? I show up for the people in my life in a way that is worthy of love. And there's so many different things that make you worthy of love that aren't attraction. You're worthy of love because you are someone that has built relationships with people based off of your mutual ethics based off of the things that you like to do together based off of how if you're funny are you your intelligence your you know everything that you are is encapsulated into worthiness and isn't solely based off of that person looks great in a size six dress and would be great on instagram and get a hundred likes from people they barely know mm-hmm taught to feel that way we've been taught that you know I said to my partner the other day social media is that it's you go on it and every second thing is like oh don't drink oat milk because it's going to give you acne or you need this type of retinol you need this type of Botox you need this type of this thing so I think that that's a very difficult thing to unlearn it's a very difficult thing to decouple your worth from attraction and in so doing decouple the worth that you have from how attractive people perceive your partner to be because it's so closely tied to that so yeah yeah, I think that just really trying to diversify what creates worthiness in you as a human being that isn't just what's on the cover yeah I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's such an important thing and something I'm also working on and social media makes it challenging. It's not social media that makes it challenging necessarily. Like it's not the only thing, but it's like the way that we've just been conditioned to as well, just with like the achievement and like do this and have this. So, so many factors, but at the start of the podcast, you came in saying that before coaching, you had read all the things and tried to learn as much as possible. How would you say that leaving the coaching experience was it about just learning more or was it about actually implementing more and how did how did kind of the experience of coaching change the way that you were showing up and and navigating relationship OCD and anxiety I think that you can treat it a bit a little bit like Pinterest versus actually doing the DIY Mm. you can have a thousand Pinterest boards And you know everything that there is to know about doing a cornicing project or doing paneling. And you can research it and you can have got everything pinned and you've got notes on it and you've created a mood board and whatever. Until you actually start doing that work, you're not going to know the extent of what needs to be done. And so you can hear about it from a load of podcasts. You can read about it on Instagram. And that is of course helpful because hearing it from other people and understanding the approaches that they've taken is helpful. And it's not to say that you absolutely have to do this specific, you know, eight week course and whatever in this timeline for you to get better. It's, it's not about that. It's, you know, for whatever is, is suitable for you as a person and whatever is financially available to you whatever is within your wheelhouse to help yourself with I do think you need to do the work (laughs) and what that means is you take those learnings and you take those experiences and you take people's perspectives and you you get to the root cause of well why is this happening because I think it's one thing to hear from other people that are saying 
oh, this happens to me too. And then you're like, great, well, I still don't know what to do with it or how to mold that fear into something that is actually useful. And so I think I, I had specific examples as well. And something that really, really helped me was the kind of WhatsApp part of, of the programs that um, you run where people are able to voice note you and in between sessions because not everything shows up in an hour session you're all stressed and worried about how you're going to come across in an hour and I'm the type of person that when I started I thought I was gonna you know I had to get an A <laughs> and we even spoke about that during like the midway check-in when I said I want more homework and you said do you actually or do you just want to have done this I don't know, as like an A-star student. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I've been conditioned like this. <laughs> and so you actually were like, no, I'm not going to give you more stuff <laughs> because you're doing enough. And so I think that doing some of the exercise and actually having the real life examples, and that's what I mean with the voice stoning, like when it showed up and I read, you know, I read Glennon Doyle's Untamed and... I, there were so many parts of that. I screenshotted them to you. I sent you quotes. I sent you massive voice notes afterwards. Like I remember being on a flight back from Greece and being like, oh my God, I've had an awakening. And yeah, I think that was really helpful for me to have those real life examples of like a thing was happening and you would voice note me back and say, okay, well, it sounds like in this situation that the caretaker has showed up. Why don't you try doing some of the behaviors that we tried through the relaxer? And, you know, there was other things as well, like the worthiness prompt and taking note of how I was proud of myself and how I showed up through that day that wasn't about attraction. We worked through, you know, reflections and intentions and celebrations of stuff as well, because it's so hard. It's so easy to be hard on yourself about, you know, I did this thing today and I went back into this anxious mindset um, and I need to there's moments where you need to celebrate as well where you've moved forward and yeah I think that you learn to practice being uncomfortable without acting on it and I remember hearing about this in podcasts and being like oh my god what the hell do people mean I have to live with discomfort that sounds terrible I don't want to do that but you actually do just need to sometimes sit in it and be like it's okay to be scared and the fear is a good thing. The fear is something that is trying to protect me. But like I said, I am not the fear. I'm not anxiety. I'm me. And Gollum can do whatever they want and they can give me all the warnings, but I get to decide. And so, yeah, I think that the difference really was having the real life examples and then being able to say, okay, I'm going to do it like X. Because otherwise you just have reams and reams of people being like sit with your discomfort do a gratitude journal go and meditate and you're like I don't know how to meditate <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah I think the distinction is like you said it's not about like you have to sign up for a coaching program or a course of course that's always available but it's about okay do I really need to go listen to another podcast or do I want to listen to one podcast and take one takeaway from it and start practicing that for a week and see what I learn or see what comes up for me because the more information you take in without actually implementing it, it's yeah. just going to all be swirling around up in your head. So I'm really glad so you had that. Funny. Yeah. I remember there was a point that I followed like six different types of pages on Instagram and I would have like a ream of podcasts and any time that was downtime for me, I would be like, okay, if I'm going on a walk, I need to listen to a podcast as well and be working on my physical health as I'm working on my mental health and I'm going to come out of it and I'm going to be, you know, have a six pack and not have anxiety. And then mm -hmm. I was like, God, I'm freaking exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say like, find a person or a message or a way of communication that works well for you. Don't overwhelm yourself with every single outlet and form of communication that there is because you're a human being and there's only so much that you can take in. And then try and work on some tangible examples, maybe do five things to take five takeaways from, you know, a series of podcasts or from someone that you follow or whatever it is. And then when situations show up, think, okay, can I implement one of those five things? in this situation and just take it one thing at a time you're you know you're not like I said there's nothing wrong with you you're someone that is very feeling and 
you have such a high amount of empathy and care and love and that is what makes it so hard is you want nothing more than to be in this happy loving caring relationship and to give that freely and the thing that is causing anxiety often is the guilt around not being able to do so because you're so scared of what it would mean to do it and so that's just one of the biggest things is for me what made me feel so much better is like I'm not a bad person because I have anxiety. I'm actually a very good person that just wants to take care of people around me and, and myself. And the best way that you can be in a loving relationship is to love yourself. So well said. Well, you know, my final question that I ask all my guests and you've already shared so many beautiful pieces of wisdom with us. But if you had one last thing that you wanted to say that you've learned about love to leave listeners with, what would it be? I feel like everyone does such good ones of these. I'm always (laughs) like, oh my God. (laughs) I think that the more you look out for this message, the more you will see it. I think that love is built. Love is not given. You, You will have a lifetime building this incredible piece of tapestry you aren't just given something which is ready-made because where would the fun be in that and then it's not yours you haven't built the thing that is going to sustain you you need to be an active part of the love that you build and everybody is doing that everybody that you see around you is working in a different way to build something and to build the foundations that is going to be the relationship that they rely on as as one of the most important relationships that you will have and this is one of the relationships that you have where that love is is so important that it's well taken care of and it's continually refurbished and redesigned and go back to your Pinterest boards and think about how you can make it even better and that you've chosen someone that you want to do that with because yeah it's it's something that's yours and it wouldn't be as great if it wasn't something that you were building it would be boring if everyone was given something that was just manufactured and it might look nice on you know a Hallmark film for an hour and a half but there's a reason that there's the same storyline and Vanessa Hudgens is in about 12 of them. <laughs> you know, if, if we were all going to be in a, a film where someone's in a small home town and wealthy prince from a Scandinavian country came and found them, then that would be pretty boring. <laughs> It'd be great for like two hours, but then it would be really dull. <laughs> so yeah, I would say that it's it's to be built and it's it's yours and it's something that you're going to have and to be proud of as well and be proud of yourself for for showing up for yourself in this way it's a really hard thing to do and sometimes it's it's harder than other days and and that's okay as well it's okay that you're scared you're scared because you care love that so much goodness in there I love the tapestry metaphor I feel like I've heard garden or like a house built brick by brick but I love like the notion of weaving the tapestry and that it's less fun when it just comes pre-delivered. You get to be the one that like weaves it all in or you get to make the quilt and and sew all the pieces together. So thank you so much. That was a beautiful way to close it out. And I know everyone's going to take a lot from this conversation. So I appreciate you and your time and proud of all of the, the ways that you've been able to implement this in your life and relationship. Thanks so much, Sarah. Appreciate everything that kind of we work through as well. And I just appreciate the community that you've built as well because I think that so many people would feel so much more alone if it wasn't there and you know I, I hope that for people listening as well that that they feel that and they they really feel that you're not alone in this feeling and when you come to sometimes these podcasts in a state of real anxiety that this is somewhere that you can hear other people there's real life happening for these people and you're gonna be okay it's gonna take some some time and you're gonna work through it over over your life but you're going to be okay. And everybody is, is working at their own pace and in their own journey. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much everybody for listening and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the love and you learn podcast. 
If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.